More M&A in the precious metal space, but lithium took the top prize for biggest deal of the week. And why is bullishness a problem for gold? Welcome to Kickle Roundtable. I'm your host, Michael McRae. He's back. Niels Christensen. How are you, Niels? Pretty good. Happy Friday, guys. Paul Harris. How you doing, Paul? Very well. Good afternoon, everybody. And we have a second guest that is also in Columbia. That is where Paul Harris is based. With me is the executive chair of both Grand Columbia Gold and Caldas Gold. It is Serafino Iacono. Welcome, Serafino. Uh, thank you for inviting me. Grand Columbia is a Columbia specialist. Uh, the company has produced 220,000 ounces in 2020. Serafino, can you tell us why you're the executive chair of two companies? Well, the, the executive chair of two companies is, came out uh, for a specific reason. Uh, I'm really the chairman and founder of Grand Columbia Gold. And uh, Grand Columbia Gold, uh, uh, I've been running the company uh, for 12 years now. And uh, on the 12 years, one of the reasons that I became the chairman, of, well, the, the, uh, the CEO of the second company, because we don't want to fill in space until we found the right management team into uh, our spin-off company, which is Caldas Gold. And uh, so I took the, uh, the, the uh, let's call it the uh, temporary CEO of the company until we would bring the right management into place, which we did after we raised the money for Caldas Gold, uh, after we raised uh, the close to $300 million. Um, we announced a few weeks ago that uh, uh, Neil Woodyear and uh, a group of very prominent uh, uh, directors are going to be joining uh, the company via Aris uh, Gold uh, and uh, taking the company to the next level. And Neil will become the CEO of the company and I will step aside uh, in the next 30 days. Uh, Serafino, I really want to get into it uh, because uh, you've built uh, so many mines and uh, just with these uh, prices with gold, kind of what it means in terms of uh, the industry going forward. But we always start with gold. Niels, we have a new administration. We have a new Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen. What's gold up to? Um, not much, which is it's kind of it's a we're kind of ending on a ending the week on a disappointing note i mean we had a really really nice bounce uh so on sunday uh gold prices fell to 1800 dollars an ounce and then we had a really nice bounce uh hit 18 1870s and change something like that um and now we're you know 1850s so it's like there's this there's this wall I'm talking to some guys um today and there's this wall uh, at the 200 day moving average and it's this battle between do we get inflation or do we get growth? You know, if we get growth, then yields are going to go higher. Uh, U.S. dollar is going to get stronger and gold is going to go lower. If we get inflation, real interest rates go lower. U.S. dollar goes lower and gold goes higher. So it's we're sort of in this wait and see period to see, you know, what exactly is, is going to happen, especially with the new administration. And, this, you know, $1.9 trillion uh, stimulus package. 
Now, in your absence, um, I was writing a ton of reports about gold going higher, uh, the usual factors, and we just mentioned it, stimulus, uh, currency risk. Uh, you did mention it. Uh, there was a study by ABN AMRO, and it's talking about uh, gold prices may have peaked because the prospects for the economy are so darn good. Well, that's exactly it. So they're taking, they're taking the uh, opposite side in that they think growth is going to outweigh inflation. So yields are going to end up going higher and that's going to uh, boost US dollar. And not only that, but it's not their base case, but they noted that um, last year we saw uh, record inflows into ETFs. And um, that could be a risk in the marketplace. In 2013, uh, we saw uh, in outflows of like 36% in ETF markets. And that just drove the market down to uh, record lows. So, well, not record lows, but, you know, worst sell-off in 30 years. Um, you know, so those, the market could be setting itself up for that kind of a scenario. It's not their base case, but they highlight it as a risk. You know, on the flip side, uh, MKS, they see gold prices going to peaking at 2300 this year uh, because they, they're they seeing the other side of it, the inflationary side. All of this money printing just, you know, is going to lead to currency debasement. So it's it's a fantastic debate that's, I think, happening in the, in the marketplace right now. I can tell you, look, guys, everybody, you know, even a broken clock is right twice a day. And uh, what's happening with a lot of these guys that are looking at the U.S. economy and they're looking at, uh, at the world, the reality is very simple. They're printing money like there is no tomorrow. That has a consequence. So I don't care what they say. The stock market is simply uh, a reflection of what, where to put your money. Because right now, if you want to put your money in Switzerland, they charge you 1% interest on your money and you better have $20 million. Otherwise they charge you 4%. And if you want to put your money in a U.S. bank, you're getting 1% return, but inflation and at this moment it's 2%. So you're negative. And if you want to put it into bonds, you're going to be losing money until eternity. So they can talk about the money that the economy is going to recover. I want to see the recovery of the economy. We've been waiting for 12 months for this whole thing to be over. And now they're talking about another 12 months before it's over. So by the time the economy gets recovered and gold at the end of the day has one simple factor. And the factor of gold is that you can go to Papua New Guinea in the highlands of Papua New Guinea, and you can go to Paris or you can go to the North Pole. And if you take a piece or a gold coin or something made out of gold and you need it to make it into currency, maybe you will not get what it's worth in the spot market today, but people will recognize it. And Paul knows it, even the Colombian currency, it's worth half the money in the local currency. So reality is gold is gonna go up. One more note on gold, uh, the world's gold mine production is likely to decline by 5.4% to 108 million ounces in 2020, primarily due to the impact of COVID-19 pandemic. That according to a study by Global Data. Global Data said that among other factors leading to the decline in gold output was the transition of Freeport's Grassberg open pit mine to underground mining in Indonesia. 
stringent environmental policies in China and placement of Peru's Lagunas Norte mine under care and maintenance. The largest decline is expected in China, where 2020 output is expected to be 933,000 ounces lower in 2019, followed by Indonesia dropping 824,000 ounces, down 626,000 ounces. Paul, let's switch to juniors. In your note to me before this podcast, you said there was no lack of news. Let's start with Go Gold and its PEA at Los Ricos. Yes, um, seems a lot of companies are trying to take advantage of the high gold prices and getting their economic studies out with uh, some nice rosy gold numbers in. Go Gold put out a PEA on its Los Ricos South project in Mexico, which underlines an open pin underground mining operation, 11-year mine life to produce 42.9 million ounces of silver, 352,000 ounces of gold, and a whole bunch of copper as well. The company's gonna has just started a 100,000-meter drilling campaign this year at the Los Ricos North target, which they think could be even bigger. So very positive news for them, and I think they're at a 52-week high now. One of the largest undeveloped open pit gold projects in North America got its pre-feasibility study. That's first mining spring pole. Yes, in Ontario, Spring Pole pre-feasibility study um, looking at 287,000 ounces a year production for more than 11 years, all in sustaining cost of $645 per ounce, initial capex of 780, 718 million, which could be a bit of a stretch for them. Their market cap is uh, about a third of that. And they've got the, uh, the small factor of a, a lake to put uh, barrages across. Keith Newmeyer, who runs First Majestic, is chair of First Mining. What did Integra release this week? Yes, yeah, so Integra's in Idaho. They've got a brownfield project, Delamar, and uh, they put out a, a PEA, I think it was last September, and that didn't really focus too much on the recovery of the silver. Now, this past week's P, uh, press release, they're, they're looking to address that. So they're doing more test work on that. They're looking at uh, getting meal recoveries. The historical meal recoveries were 75 to 80% of the silver. So they're looking at the test work to see if they can get anywhere near that. Their PEA figure is about 34% recovery. So potentially quite a lot of value that can be unlocked um, by working on the metallurgy and the recovery of the silver. Of course, Integra CEO George Salamis uh, joined uh, Kiko Roundtable in December. Big milestone today, and it's a great milestone to see. Orzone Gold announced financing of $182 million to build its Barambe gold project located in Burkina Faso, West Africa. The company anticipates first gold by Q3 of 2022. Barambe's production is 1.6 million ounces over the life of the mine. Average production is at 133,000 ounces uh, over the first 10 years on average. Uh, just to note, uh, well-known uh, IR communications person for Ozone Gold, Vanessa Pickering tweeted something cute. I've never been this far along in mining. It's a really, really cool moment for me. Thanks for all the great feedback. And lastly, Harte got a green light for its sugar zone with a feasibility study. Paul? Is that how it's pronounced? I always say heart gold. Um, anyway, <laughs> they've uh, um, the feasibility for a 21 million Canadian dollar expansion to the sugar zone in Ontario. That will double their capacity from 800 tons a day. To 1200 tons a day and that will more than double their their gold production to about 100,000 ounces a year 
I'm not going to argue with the America's mining analyst. Breaking news from today, a Swiss criminal court has found Israeli businessman Benny Steinmetz guilty of corruption on Friday and sentenced him to five years in jail. According to reports by Reuters, the ruling followed a two-week trial of Steinmetz and two others variously accused of paying and arranging payment of $10 million in bribes to obtain expiration permits for the world's richest untapped deposit of iron ore and of forging documents to cover it up through a web of shell companies and bank accounts. They denied the charges. Steinmetz has been profiled by The New Yorker and other large media publications. Uh, Simendu represents one of the largest iron ore reserves in Guinea and in the world, having estimated reserves of 2.4 billion tons of ore grading at 65% iron metal. Simendu is currently being developed by an Asian consortium and the Guinea government. Cost to develop is $16 billion to develop because you're going to need railways, you're going to need a port, as well as you have to build a mine. Just a huge project that they have over there. Two big M&A deals this week. Paul, George Burns at El Dorado bought QMX for $132 million. Yes, I think that's uh, really started uh, exciting people. Um, in the Val d'Or region of Quebec, the Abitibi, and they've picked up this a big land package next to, next to their Lamac mine and Sigma mill, 132 million Canadian cash and stock. They already owned 17% of QMX, paying a 39.5% premium. And this follows, of course, from one of the deals last week, Moneta Porcupine buying Garrison in the neighboring Timmins district. So things really start seem to be starting to heat up there. Um, of, of note, around the QMX project is uh, O3 Mining's Alpha project. They did a big consolidation move, I think, uh, in 2019. They, they hoovered up two other juniors. And so they're potentially right in the, the crosshairs for somebody else to sort of take out going forward. Uh, of course, I teased at the start of the podcast, the biggest deal of the week belongs to Pilbara Minerals, which finalized its acquisition of Altura Lithium Project in Western Australia from Altura Mining in a deal valued at $201 million. Pilbara said it is now coal of the largest independent hard rock lithium mining and processing operation globally. Sticking with lithium, just a ton of financings this week. Lithium Americas announced today the closing of approximately $400 million. The company said that net proceeds will fund the development of the Thacker Pass Lithium Project in Nevada. Neolithium announces a $30 million bot deal private placement financing. Millennium Lithium announces a bot deal public offering to raise gross proceeds of $30 million. Thank you very much for Paul for noting the upsize on that before the podcast. And uh, financials and productions, sorry, switching to financials and production outlook. Uh, notable this week was K92 Mining, the Papua New Guinea miner that said it expects to grow its production by 16 to 36% year over year with gold equivalent production between 115 to 135,000 ounces. Paul, what was notable about production at Premier? Well, um, Premier, they've um, outlined a production at Cove of 102,000 ounces a year, Cove in Nevada, um, for eight years, an all-in sustaining cost of $948 per ounce. There's been several news releases out of Premier recently. Um, they're subject to a, a takeover from Equinox Gold, and they're going to spin out their Nevada assets into a new company called I-80 Gold. Um, and so they're obviously sort of getting the market primed with information about their assets. A lot of uh, economic studies coming out of them at the moment. Serafino, I want to bring you back in. Uh, can you talk about Caldas Gold? Uh, you said it used to be an asset hidden within Grand Columbia. Uh, and you said uh, breaking out has really provided a lot more value to Grand Columbia. Yeah, uh, Caldas Gold uh, uh, 
was a, a spin-off that we did uh, that we decided to do about a year ago. Uh, it's uh, the Marmato Mine, a traditional area of Colombia with uh, uh, with many 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 years of uh, of production behind us back. Um, we've had the concession for 12 years. Actually, historically, I had it once before in the 1990s. I sold it and I bought it back. Uh, I guess I'm a masochist, but uh, 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 we, we got it. Uh, we, we bought it. 200,000 200, meters of drilling being done on the mountain. There is no mystery. Um, we uh, decided to take out the upper portion of Marmato out uh, we had done this mine. This mine originally was going to be an open pit, but it became very complicated because of uh, problems, community environment, just not the right time with the price of gold. But when we left it in 2010, this mine had 14 million ounces of gold in resources. So big, big. Uh, we always had a mystery on this mine uh, about the deep portion of this, of this, of this mine. What was below this vein system that we knew that it was a secondary event. And um, before we stopped doing some more drilling into that area, we put in five drill holes. This was in 2015, 16. And uh, the five drill holes uh, gave us some amazing results. Uh, intersections, every single one of them hit intersection of 500 to 700 meters solid with two grams of gold per ton. So we have done, since then we did work. Uh, this body or what we call the Sona uh, Baja of the deposit has now turned out to be a monster of a project. We're up to 6 million ounces of gold in, inter in an area that has got about uh, 200 meter in uh, thickness. And uh, we're already up to a kilometer in length with uh, an average grade of four to five grams of gold per ton. So this thing is going to be a major mine. It's going to be mined with uh, sub-level stoping. Um, you know, there is a whole feasibility done on it. We raised uh, uh, close to 300 million now with the, with the money that Neil Goodyear and his group raised will be over $300 million. It's a fully pro uh, uh, fully. Uh, uh, finance project ready to be built in 2020, 21, 22, and 23. And um, we did the spin-off because we had an asset in our company that was giving us zero value. I mean, Grand Columbia produces 220,000 ounces of gold this year. It produces, it's, it's generating incredible cash flow. It's got incredible investments. And one of those investments is the old, we own, 55% of this company now fully financed. And I don't think the market gives us not even $1 of credit or 50 cents of credit for the percentage of shares that we own, which is worth right now about $150 million in this market. So uh, what, what was the next step? We wanted to get the company going, finance, get it to where it was with the feasibility, and then, because I want to concentrate my efforts in Grand Colombia, in the Segovia area, where we still have a lot of work to be done and a lot of growth to be done in that area, 
we wanted to put this company in the capable hands of a management team. And that's why we did a deal with Aris where Neil Woodyear and his team is going to take over the company. Uh, we brought in some incredible directors, uh, uh, Garofalo, uh, Peter Moroni, uh, Frank Justra as an advisor, Neil Woodyear and uh, Ian Telfer. I mean, if there is a, a dream team, that's the dream team. Yes, Paul. And uh, ex-Kitco, Daniela Camboni, of course. And that uh, I was going to say, and more, and more than anything, Daniela that believed into the project so much that she came on board. And I, I imagine that uh, separating the two, um, the Segovia operations, I think, were the third highest gold mine by grade last year. Uh, uh, we moved back to them from the, Separating them from the lower grade Marmato, you could get a, a boost just from that because now you're purely... Segovia, high grade, very high grade gold. I, I agree with you. And that's one of the reasons that we did that we did what we did. And then we can talk about what's coming out of Segovia because it's amazing stuff. Right now, we are operating out of the three traditional areas. Uh, Segovia is a district. If you want to look at it, if you will look at it in any other concept, outside of, uh, of, of where we are in Colombia, wouldn't be a, wouldn't be a mine, it would be a district. We have uh, 3,500 hectares. It's a very special title where we are the owners of the land and we are the owners of the mineral rights. We pay taxes to the Colombian government, but the Colombian government is not the owner of, of, of the minerals. Uh, we are. So that's a very special title on that, on that alone. Second, three mines that have been worked and operated a uh, hundred years of history, written history and with, with records of production of, of uh, close to five million ounces of gold. We have produced the other million and a half so far. So six and a half million ounces of production over a hundred years of, uh, of life. And we still haven't touched we, we've explored 20% of the area. There is 24 veins additional to the three veins that we have. Plus in the South, we have another group of concession. Those are concession, 8,000 hectares where we opened our first mine that is called Karma. Now, starting with Karla, that is the newest of the discovery. We started drilling Karla a year and a half ago. We started getting some resources going, open up this mine that had 11 levels. We're working on the first three levels and we started drilling to look at depth into this mine and started building up reserves. It's not huge right now. It probably will do, we will have 100,000, 150,000 ounces between now and the end of the year out of the mine in, in, in reserves. But we're talking about 60 to 70 grams of gold and, and, and uh, you know, two ounces, three ounces of silver per ton. So it's significant stuff. Same thing that you have, uh, you know, in, uh, in, in our three mines that we have. Uh, if, if, you look, uh, if you look at Silencio, the Silencio mine, we identified a brand new vein that was never touched, the America vein. The vein is right now, uh, it's giving us results of two to three ounces of gold per ton. 
So this thing, when Paul is right, when you average everything that we have in this mind, in the three minds that we are right now producing, we are right now, I think we went to the Paul, we went to the fourth uh, most, uh, the highest great mind in the world. But what's coming in situations like what we have, for example, uh, Vera is our next target that we're developing going towards the uh, uh, east of, uh, of the concession. Uh, it's the extension of the, of the, of the uh, uh, Carla uh, mine. Uh, and uh, we're talking about uh, grades also of uh, one ounce of gold with 200 grams of silver per ton. So, you know, these are narrow veins, but they repeat itself and they're constant and they're getting better and better. The same thing as we are start looking at Los Verticales, which is an area that we drilled a few years ago in the, in, in the, in the, in the uh, west of the concession. Uh, the, the, uh, the small miners that we have, contract miners that work for us in the area, in the last three months of production that they did, October, November, December, they provided us material under our supervision in that area. Uh, these are 15 levels, uh, most of them flooded. They work only on the first three levels, the small miners. They gave us an average of 55 grams of gold per ton, 1,500 tons a month for a small group of miners. Now, this is in the area where they're working where they used to mine. Imagine what there is below in these areas. So, this thing, Segovia is going to start shaping up into becoming a major high grade company. What are we doing that it's different this year than we have done in the past? In the past, we were surviving and we were trying to build up the company and clean up the balance sheet and getting this company to become a decent company like it is today. We sit on $130 million in cash. Our debt is almost nil. We are making money, uh, great money in our concession. Our next step now is to take the 23 veins that have never been drilled and worked. And starting this year, we have uh, to start, I, I believe it's between 40 and 60,000 meters of very specific drilling. Very exciting time. As you say, you've cleared your debt, you've turned the company around, and now spinning out Caldas, you can focus all your management resources, financial resources on Segovia. Um, sounds really, really exciting. Go ahead. I wanted to kind of step back and then I just wanted to, uh, despite uh, Neil's kind of uh, uh, beating himself up on uh, the precious metal price and that we're range bound here, but um, you know, uh, this uh, 1800s, uh, you build mines. This is not a bad price for gold, is it? This is, uh, to me, if you ask me, 1800 is where gold should stay for the longest time. And I'm very comfortable with 1800. Look, everything's gotta be about efficiency. If you start, if you produce gold at seven, eight hundred dollars an ounce, you have incredible profits on this thing. As gold starts going up, and it's not that I don't want gold to go up, I want gold to go up to twenty five hundred and twenty seven, and I believe it's going to go there. But the higher gold will go, the more what I would call, excuse the expression, stupid minds. This is where the problem that we have. Look, look at a Marmato. 
Marmato, I could have done my numbers at 1,700, at 1,800, at 1,600. I wanted to make this mine. If this mine has to survive, and I lived $1,000 gold. Paul lived it with me in, in Colombia. Yeah, okay? and you had, had costs of, what, $1,400, $1,500 an ounce then? Correct. And we were suffering, and we had to really tighten up our belt, and we had to do what we had to do to make that thing going. I never want to go through that problem again. Either the mine makes it, at the, my break-even is $900, $1,000 on ill-sustainable cost, or I'm not going to build it. And our, the reality is when we did Marmato, we did Marmato with $1,300 gold. Why? Because I can comfortably go in and say, the $300 million that I borrowed, I don't have to worry about paying it, even if gold goes down to $1,000 an ounce. And believe me, I live from experience because we indebted ourselves with Grand Columbia with gold, when gold was a $1,700, inefficiencies of how the mines were run and the, and, and the cost of operations and everything made us, as Paul said, $1,300 an ounce. And when gold went to 1000 I saw red stars and green stars and blue stars. So... To me, 1800 is a fantastic price because it keeps everybody honest and, it, and the mines that are going to be built, mines that are efficient. When we uh, talked to uh, people in December, there was a feeling that uh, we are going to kind of get into M&A probably about mid-2021. Uh, it seems like we're in that right now. It seems like uh, people are very confident. Uh, it feels like uh, they can actually go out and do these deals, uh, Serafino you will see a lot of M&A going on. And, and for the simple reason that all the, the mid-sized company are becoming big-sized company and the big-sized company are becoming mega company. So when a barrack, a barrack now has become like the Atlas holding the world by, by, by his hand. And uh, uh, they got to replace, what, 3 million ounces of gold? So uh, take Marmato. Six million ounces of gold, that's equivalent of two years of mine life for them. So what do you, the bigger you become, the bigger deals you got to start doing. And I think that we get into the point now that you're going to start seeing a company like Equinox that have become a mid-tier, upper mid-tier. What is the next gig that they got to do to start keeping the production going? Otherwise, otherwise you, you're going to start declining. And I think I agree with you. I think this year company like ours, company that they have high grades, that they have great cash flow, they're going to start becoming targets. Let's turn to our number of the week. Serafina, we always start with a guest. What was a meaningful number for you this week? Meaningful number, it's number five. And the number five, to me, symbolizes the five mines that we're going to be building and we're going to be drilling in the next year. Or two, where we're going to be putting into production and increased production in Segovia. High grade, very fantastic gold and silver deposit and lots of surprises. Thank you, Serafino. Paul, what's your number? of? I've picked a number for Serafino this week, 311, or more specifically, $311 million. And uh, that is the amount of money that's been raised for, for Caldas Gold since uh, it was uh, spun out last year in about four or five different financings. 
And congratulations there. Thank you very much. It's a good number. It's I a good wish number. it was mine. <laughs> Niels, what's your number? Uh, I'm keeping mine simple. Uh, 46. 46 President uh, Biden. Yeah. Yeah, he was inaugurated on Wednesday, and uh, and now we'll see um, we'll see what happens if he can get his 1.9 stimulus package uh, passed. Uh, I think gold. I think Serfino. I think you're right. You know, like the we can't grow our way out of this, and I think it's just going to lead to money printing, currency devaluation, and inflation. I agree, totally worldwide. My number of the week is $22,000 a ton, $22,000 a ton. And I know this is going to be easy for Paul and Niels. Copper. Well, it was, it, it, it was or lithium, lithium. Huh? No, it was the top. Per- nickel. You, you guys are on it. it. It is the top performing base metal this year. Nickel. No, it's not Tin. Tin, tin is the top performing oh, metal. Well, well, do you know that I own one of one of the largest tin mine in Spain private, privately? I'm so happy for you to say that. <laughs> tin coltan in Spain. But I thought it was at 18,000. If you're getting 22,000, it's fantastic. <laughs> Got to update your portfolio there. That's <laughs> Just following up on a note, uh, the jump in price reflects uh, the COVID-19 impact on tin supply, which was particularly hard hit by lockdowns in key supplier countries last year. Tin is also a small market, which makes it liable for disruption. Uh, that's it for us, Serafino. Uh, what are some of the uh, news releases that we can look forward to in 2021? Well, you're going to start looking from some uh, from results from Marmato. Yep. In the next 30 days, results from Segovia in the next 30 days on drilling. Update in the next uh, few weeks of uh, uh, the extension uh, uh, being given, uh, approved by the Colombian government, um, which is already done, but it's going to be signed and officialized uh, by, the, by, by, the, by, by the president of the uh, um, the mining division of the Ministry of Mines and um, growth in uh, in Grand Colombia and reserves by April. Serafino, thank you very much for your time. Uh, if you like what you hear, tell a friend and don't forget to subscribe through iTunes and all of your favorite podcast platforms. Reach out to us. You can follow me on Twitter at Michael McRae. That's with two C's. Paul is at P Harris 1313. Niels is at Neil C. And Serafino, how can people get a hold of you? Uh, it's uh, iserafino at cs.com. Thank you very much, everybody. And now our conversation with Brent Cook. Should precious metals investors be reallocating their focus in 2021? Brent Cook, founder and advisor to Exploration Insights, joins us today to talk about his outlook for the economy, for stocks in the mining sector, and for the precious and base metals. Brent, welcome back to the show. Uh, thanks. Good to be here early in the year. We've spoken several times, and you've been you know, a regular on Kiko for many, many years. This is the first time that I can remember, at least, that you've been neutral on precious metals. You were telling me offline. Can you walk us through the logic of that call? <laughs> back in the day when I was talking to Daniela, um, yeah. I was often quite negative on them. Uh, we... 
at Exploration Insights have been positive the past few years. I think right now I'm neutral because I can see, you know, some stability and reason returning back to the to the White House. And I think that's probably going to decrease some of the volatility and risk out there. I also see as the vaccine rollout finally starts kicking in, that will be a bit of a negative to the gold price. So in the short term, I guess we could say I'm neutral. Further out, I can see with all this debt stimulus uh, and the potential of uh, the dollar losing its uh, status, gold doing quite well. So further out, we're looking at, okay. at a better gold price. So, so your thesis here, is it safe to say that your underlying assumption is that gold needs instability and volatility before demand goes into gold? To some degree on the short term, but again, in the longer term, it's really all about uh, de de devaluation of the dollar uh, through the, we're having another $2 trillion of stimulus going into the sector after $7 trillion the past two years. Um, all that's it's going to devalue the dollar. Um, and we're seeing the rest of the world sort of backing away to some degree from the US dollar as well. Okay. So looking out one, two, three years down the road, I'm pretty positive on the gold price. But right over the next six months to, to a year, I guess you could say I'm neutral. Six months to a year. So if you're neutral, then would you think that the current price is reasonable? That's where it should be at, at right now? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a reasonable price. And I think it's a good price. I mean, most of the major mining companies are making plenty of money. And I think what we're, a positive we're going to see is that as mining companies are able to send their people out uh, to different parts of the world to look at and evaluate projects, we're going to see an increase in mergers and acquisitions from mostly the mid-tier companies trying to grow, picking up early stage uh, resource properties um, with at least some sort of resource to find. Yeah, uh, that's legitimate. So I think, you know, that's a real positive. And that's kind of where Joe and I are focusing on what, what are the mid tier to larger companies going to buy over the next year? It's interesting. Still, you brought that up. I was just speaking to a mid tier the other day. And he told me yeah. that, uh, yeah, there's going to be more consolidation in the sector, most likely. And he said that they've always got it raw on the miners, they, they really should be making deals when the price is low, when the gold price is low not at $1,800, $1,900 an ounce levels. That's when, that's when bad deals are made. But they, anyway, that's, most deals are made at a higher price and they really should be buying it at a you know, low, lower level. What do you think? For sure. I, I, you know, and you watch, that's what Ross Beatty, uh, for the most part, does in the way he's done so well. The problem they've got is when prices are low, they've got no money and nobody cares. Sure. It's sort of a counterintuitive business and that the smartest thing to do uh, is when you can't do it. Yeah. What do you think they should be doing with this extra cash that they've accumulated over 2020 for the most part? You know, dividends for the majors is probably a good idea given they're trying to attract major funds and such. But I think it's better to put it away and, and wait for that opportunity to buy something that you need. Because, I mean, consider we're running through on a global production scale a Carlin trend a year. That's 90 plus million ounces a year that's going. And we're not finding even a third of that um, through expiration. So there's there's a certainly a shortage in legitimate uh, quality gold deposits out there that the majors are going to be scrambling for uh, down the road. So in 2011, there was a series of bad deals that were made and that investors <laughs> that have haunted investors for years. The same concern has popped up again this year 
Now, yeah, as I said, more consolidation is expected. Are you concerned about this risk reappearing? Uh, certainly, uh, certainly. The, the, again, the base problem is it's really, really difficult to find a good gold deposit or a silver deposit. Uh, most of what you find is marginal. I mean, you're looking at all these deposits out there that were bought in 2011 and such, and some are being bought again, like Cote Lake, um, and they're marginal at best. But that's what's out there, and there's pressure when the gold price is high from shareholders and such to go out and buy something, and, and that's what they do. There's very few deposits out there that are really high margin deposits. I mean, gold doesn't sell for 1,800, 1,900 an ounce because it's easy to find, does it? Are there jurisdictions where you might find a higher concentration of these higher asset or higher quality deposits? Probably the riskier places in the world. Okay. Um, although there's certainly some in, in, in Idaho that are starting to look pretty good that I think are high quality. Uh, not so much I've seen in Nevada, Australia, there's some, a few good deposits out there that I think a, a larger company could buy. Uh, Africa, if you're active in Africa, there's some good spots there in West Africa, particularly. Uh, so yeah, there's still some places to be looking. Okay, let's go back to the economy. Now you were neutral on precious metals. Are you overweight specific other metals now? I wouldn't say overweight. Again, it comes down to what, what Joe and I are after are quality discoveries and deposits that offer a high enough margin that the junior company that owns them are not going to have to build it. Uh, we want something good enough that someone else is going to come in and buy it. Uh, so I think we're about right. We've got a few nickel companies. We've got some copper companies, um, some a PGM company, and we're scattered across both the Canadian and uh, Australian exchanges. So it sounds like you're uh, leaning more towards base metals now. Is that correct? Somewhat, somewhat. I would say yes. Okay. Is there, is, there, uh, is there a fundamental economic reason for that? Well, I think with the uh, electrification and green energy coming much, much uh, a bigger part of the global economy, that that's going to take up and require a lot more copper uh, than we, we, again, than we're actually finding. So copper should do well. Um, and discoveries, legitimate discoveries are going to be attractive to the major mining companies. Nickel is the other one we're, we're keen on because nickel, good sulfide nickel deposits are what you need to build the batteries uh, for all the electric vehicles and such. And again, you've, 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 that's going to be key is, um, for instance, we're invested in an Australian company, Blackstone Minerals, who have a, an agreement with a Korean battery manufacturer so that there, there is likely an offtake agreement to the deposit they're defining in Vietnam. That's the sort of thing we're looking for, where we've got a downstream uh, buyer, if you will, that will help fund the development of the project. Okay. And what are the major risks that you're looking out for as an investor that all investors should be paying attention to right now in the space? Well, certainly the, the, the general markets have done exceptionally well. I mean, they're way, for the most part, overvalued. I mean, you know, we know Tesla and Facebook and such are just nuts. Um, and at some point, that bubble's got to pop. And what I've noticed is that when that bubble pops, it takes down the mining companies, the gold companies, just as hard, regardless of the, the underlying metal prices. So that's sort of something I'm concerned about. However, with the what 
$2 trillion coming into the market, uh, stimulus coming in, all that free money, if you will, has no place to go but the stock market because there's no place else to, to invest it. So, I mean, that's a concern I'm, 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 mm-hmm. that I think we need to watch. We're due for a bust or at least a, a downdraft. And uh, that's what I'm watching, I guess. Now, you brought up a key point, which is that regardless of the metals prices, if stocks go down, it'll still bring down the miners with it. So let's suppose suppose the stock market falls, but metals prices rise concurrently. What, what would happen to miners in that case? What I've seen in the past is in a real downturn, we were looking at you know major drops in the in the major markets. Everything gets sold, right? Um, and that I guess that's the opportunity as well. You know, that's we did really well when the COVID crash hit, uh, buying major mining companies um, like Pan American Silver and and such, uh, because we knew under the underlying fundamentals were good. So I guess although that's something to watch for, it's also an opportunity to be ready for. One thing I've noticed speaking to some of the seniors over 2020 is that they're planning to, if not already, have raised dividends. And I wonder if that would change your preference or bias towards more seniors in the long run. Uh, Personally, I don't really buy uh, major mining companies. Um, You know, my focus is on the the smaller end of the sector. I think by increasing the dividends, they're looking to bring in, uh, you know, major funds uh, out of New York and whatever. Uh, that's what they're doing in terms of the dividends. And they also, the major mining companies have got to worry about ESG now as well. That's becoming a major uh, question uh, for the funds that want to invest in in the mining sector. Is what it, is your it, it wouldn't entice you to at least consider it. Not really, no. That's not what I do. I mean, I, I own Pan American Silver, and I'm happy with that. That's the, probably the largest company I own. Okay. Now, you made an interesting presentation recently at the SOAR Financial Conference about how investors should be reading a news release uh, presented by a miner. I think that's fascinating. Can you walk us through this? It should be very educational. Yeah, briefly, I mean, you know, I look at news releases all day, all the time. And, and you've got to consider a news release is really a promotional piece that the company's putting out. And you've got to view it from that perspective. And I think a legitimate company will put out a couple of paragraphs to just tell you, this is basically what's going on. Anyone without a technical ability can understand it. And then they need to include the details, the backup data. And that would be um, plan sections, cross sections through the earth with the drill holes, uh, long sections, um, a table of assays, including, you know, all the assays, all the all the uh, holes drilled. I hate it when they just say highlighted holes and they give you holes number number five, eight, and seven when they drilled fifteen holes. And they don't tell you what the rest are. That tells you a lot right there. Um, once, and I, I guess the company that does an excellent job of that is Integra. Um, you go to their website, pull up their news release, and you can see that everything is there with backup data, links to a video, et cetera. You can explore everything. So that's what a news release should contain. If it doesn't, um, it tells you one or two things. Either they're trying to hide something or they're incompetent. Either way, it's an easy pass. Okay. So when you get something like that, a news release that highlights either they're trying to hide something or that they're incompetent, what do you do then? How, what's your next step? What's your thought process there? 
Well, I just move on. I mean, there's so many things to look at. Um, okay. I move on. In fact, if, if I see a real, what I consider a scam, okay, I'm happy to jump on Twitter or wherever and kind of mention it, you know, in, in the letter, I used to do that reasonably often. Okay. And I think, you know, I think that's fair enough. I don't want to jump on, you know, I don't want to be negative on anybody, but the reality is it's, it's really difficult to find an economic deposit. What's your, uh, what's your, uh, what's your Twitter handle? So we can go follow you next time. Next time you post something like that, 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 that is a scam that we should avoid. It's Brent C O O seven. And then some more numbers. I'm not sure how I ended up with that. But. Have you made any, uh, uh, tweets like this recently? Yes, <laughs> I have. Um, you know, one other thing I like, I, I pull out a lot is there's this idea where you've, you know, either deposits an underground or an open pit, or you can combine the both depending on what. But when you get a drill hole uh, from a company that has, say, 100 meters of one gram in the first drill hole, in the second drill hole, you're looking at five meters at 15 grams or two meters at 20 grams. What is this thing? Is it a bulk open pit deposit or is it a narrow vein deposit? And what is ha what happens all too often is a company will take a very narrow interval of high grade and mathematically smear it across a long interval, such that what was really a one meter interval of 50 grams becomes a 50 meter interval of one gram. And that's a whole different concept as to what the deposit might be, what the economics behind mining it might be, et cetera. So that's something you've got to be aware of. And that on our website, uh, towards the bottom, there's a, a tool you can use called the drill mm -hmm. interval calculator, where you can put in the big interval and then the little intervals and see what the remaining material is, the res residual material grades. And that's very useful. But I think the issue is, or part of the issue is, even if a company links to their data, not a lot of people know how to read or interpret this data. So uh, I'm looking at a bunch of geological data. How do I know that this is still not a scam? <laughs> um, well, I guess it ultimately comes down to, you know, you need someone technically competent to, to give you some advice, be it a stockbroker or your sure. brother or, or a newsletter writer. Um, but generally, I find if people give you all the information, at least they're trying to convince you or someone technically able to understand the data, what they're doing, and they're doing something worthwhile. Um, another issue I, I have is a lot of companies are looking for something that even if they're successful, it really doesn't impact the share price. Basically, the, the deposit they're after is too small to be worth a lot in terms mm -hmm. of the share price. I mean, I've, I did an example of, I think it was Heart Gold, where the share price declined until they and, and they're in production now from discovery to production, yet the market capitalization went up. That's not what you want. You know, you right. need the share price to go up along with it. That's interesting. So the share price went down, but the market capitalization went up. That that's correct. They keep issuing issuing shares, raising more right, and more yeah, money okay. throughout this thing. The shares outstanding, it changed a lot. Uh, fair enough. All right. So Brent, um, last question. Uh, your, your, your top stock picks for, uh, for 2021. 
my stock top picks. I'll, I'll give you a couple that I own um, that I'm, I think are worthwhile. Uh, one is hand in minerals, very early stage grassroots exploration on the backside of the Peruvian Andes, a whole new concept. Um, they've got a joint venture with Jogmec who's paying for the exploration uh, and can earn 75% by producing a feasibility, I believe it is. Long shot, but really, really uh, intelligent idea. Good idea, if it works, it's huge, it's massive. Um, another copper one, much more advanced to be Trilogy, which is active in Alaska. Um, last year, they didn't get any work done because of COVID. This year, they've got a big program. Again, they've got a partner with South 32, I think in copper projects, at least large ones. It helps to have a, a partner with you. Uh, on the gold side, I guess I'll go with uh, Liberty Gold, who are drilling out a very large, low-grade open pit deposit in Southern Idaho. I've been there a few times. They're doing it right. Um, it's it, it, it's going to be a large deposit, and the economics so far look pretty good. Just out of curiosity, have you ever visited some of these more dangerous jurisdictions for site visits? Oh, yeah. And what, yeah, was, the, what was the experience there like compared to, let's say, going to Idaho or Nevada? <laughs> well, I remember flying into uh, into the Congo. We flew in on a, on a Learjet, landed at this little airstrip, and the customs guy comes out. And he's, he's a kid, must have been about, I don't know, 15, and he's got a machine gun that is half as big as him, and he's the guy we've got to go through to get in. And the people I was with just paid him a six-pack, and we were yeah, ushered on through. Wow. Um, that was interesting. And then getting into the uh, customs office, it was all shot up, so we just kind of climbed through the glass and went in. What, what about infrastructure and sort of, you know, the, the quality of the machinery, the, the, the development of the site? How do they differ in, let's say, a, in the Congo versus a developed nation? I guess that depends on the company doing it. I mean, you go to barracks operations in the Congo and they're first class. Right. Um, but some of the smaller private deals... Um, or just uh, Imperos or yeah, those guys in, in Brazil, you go there and they're just lowering people down on a rope in a bucket. But that wouldn't mean it's a bad investment though, right? It probably would. Oh, okay. Well, that... <laughs> I'm afraid it probably would. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't want to start there. Brett, I, I could talk to you for an hour about just your experiences and stories, but let's, let's save that for next time. Thank you very much for coming on the show today, Brent. Thanks. Appreciate it. And good. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you as well. And thank you for watching Kiko News. Stay tuned for more.